We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Well, I suppose the, the ultimate symbol of Christianity is the cross. That, that cross there actually came out of the anointing church at Yorktown. There was a big storm, and they were the rafters, part of the rafters. One of our guys, Nathan, made it. I worked out they saw about, I think it was about 8,000 Sundays, these, these rafters. And, uh, and it's good to have that, that, that symbol there today, symbol of the cross. When you consider the cross and the resurrection, what comes to your mind? When a lot of people see the cross, different things. So for some people, they see a cross, it's just a, a symbol of religion. Um, for many, uh, for Paul, he, he wrote, the Apostle Paul wrote, for some it's foolishness. The, he was talking about the Greeks. They were trying to work it out. It's just, it doesn't make sense. He said for the Jews it was offensive, and it was offensive for them because a, a Messiah being crucified, that's, that can't be right. Um, for others, a lot of people, it's a symbol of, of hope and love. I think the cross is probably the most recognised symbol on earth, wouldn't you say? When, when, it's the most recognised symbol we have. What does the cross mean? When we study the cross, it means everything. And it means lots of things. It's not just one thing, it's lots of things. It's, it's the self-sacrificing love of God. It's God identifying us with us through suffering. It's the ultimate victory over death. It's, it's a, it, it comes before the new life. It's the model of discipleship. What? Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, you know, like I've sacrificed, laid down my life, I want you to do the same thing. It's actually the crowning of a king. Remember on the cross they had the king of the Jews, they put a crown on his head. It's not the sort of king they were expecting, but that's the sort of king... That was, that was actually like his throne and it was different to what people expected. It's the love of God poured out. It's so much more. But I think when most people, or at least most Christians, think about the cross, probably if I asked, did a poll here, what does it mean? Most people would say the forgiveness of sin. And it is, means many things. But I want to talk about the cross as the eternal moment of forgiveness, the eternal moment of forgiveness. Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I don't want to know anything among you except Christ and him crucified. And I used to think, well, what does that mean? The t- eternal moment of forgiveness. And it sounds like a contradiction, an eternal moment. But it was a moment that echoed through eternity. Luke 23, verse 33. We've got that, I think, Andrew. They came to the... So when they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And they divided his clothes by casting lots. All forgiveness of sin past, present and future 
flows from this moment. It's like, I've got that picture up. Can we put that picture up? It's like we dropped a pebble in the water and it rippled off. And it was from that moment in history that forgiveness rippled back in time. It rippled forward in time. It goes deeper into the darkest places you could think of. If you think someone is too, in a too deep or darker place to be forgiven, no, his forgiveness goes, ripples into that place. The moment Jesus was crucified, forgiveness was echoed back into history. It's to us now. It's forward into eternity. Let's pray uh, before we just unpack this a little bit more. And Lord, I pray as I speak about the power of forgiveness, the power of God's love, that we'll see it afresh in our lives here today on Resurrection Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming to be baptised, some of you will know he said something. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And, and on the cross, Jesus was the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. Once for all. And it wasn't for just that moment in time, for those huddled around the cross who lived in Israel 2,000 years ago. It's for us now. It's for those back in, in, in Abraham's day. Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 talks about Jesus and it says, Jesus is the land slain from the foundation of the world. Have you ever heard that? Land, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So before Jesus was there in the let there be light, before the world was created, the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. John, John chapter 1 tells us a little bit about Jesus in the beginning. It says this in uh, John chapter 1, yep. In the beginning, the word already existed. This is talking about Jesus. The word was with God. So Jesus was with God and the word was God. That's pretty important. And he existed in the beginning and God created everything through him and nothing was created through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and he brought his life to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot extinguish it. See, Jesus was there in creation, but even before creation, we find that Jesus was, was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. I started to think about that. We've got this thing called sin. And we, we sort of define it just as when I do wrong things. And it means that. It means missing the mark. It means anything imperfect. Everything from me hurting somebody or ignoring God. But it also means in the Jewish world, and we, we heard about this on Friday, it means anything that's not quite perfect. If someone had dandruff, they were called unclean. How, how did you go with that one? Um, and it was the opposite to the word shalom. The word shalom means peace, perfectness. The opposite was this concept of sin. And before the world was created, God knew sin would come and he knew sin would be forgiven. He made a plan before the foundation of the world. And 
the eternal moment of forgiveness happened on the cross. Rippling back into history, forgiving the sins of the past, the earliest Adam, Eve, Moses, Abraham. But the forgiveness also ripples into the future. If you read a little bit more in the book of Revelation, it talks a lot about the future. Half of it we can't work out, but we know it's stuff coming. 35 times in the book of Revelation it talks about the lamb that was slain in a, what it's going to be in the future. One time in the book of Revelation it talks about Jesus as the line of the tribe of Judah. We tend to focus on that, but when you read that it says, I looked at the line and I saw a lamb. The lamb is featured in the past and in the future. He was and always will be the lamb of God. And the cross is when this moment came together. When the forgiveness of the world happened and rippled forward, rippled back, rippled to us now. And our destinies were changed because of the cross. And now you are forgiven. You are forgiven. You're forgiven. You can just... Even just elbow someone and tell them, you're forgiven. Elbow them hard and then you'll need forgiveness too. You know there's something that didn't change at the cross? This is really important to know as well. Jesus the Son was not changing God or changing the Father's mind about us. One thing you learn about God as you study your Bible, any good Bible scholars here, that God, that the God is unchangeable. They use the word immutable. That might be a better term because we know what a mutation is, a slight change. Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever, and God does not change. And so, you know, Jesus wasn't changing the Father's mind. He's the same. If we ever think God's changing, it's, it's because we're in motion. Who's ever been at the stoplights on a hill and all of a sudden you think you're going backwards because the car in front on the side's going forwards? Anyone ever experienced that? It's a bit like that with God. If we think he's changing, it's us who's moving and we're seeing perhaps him from a different perspective. God never changes. You're the one who might be changing. And at the cross... The son wasn't changing the unchangeable God. He wasn't changing God in, from being an angry God to a loving God. What happens on the cross is Jesus is revealing what God is like. He's revealing what the Father is like. He's revealing the real nature of God, the most perfect and powerful way. Why did Jesus came? Well, he came to die, but he came to reveal what God was like. The book of Colossians goes great lengths to tell us things like Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. It's trying to get the picture. When when you see Jesus, you see what God is really like. Up until Jesus, you only get shadows of what you think God's like. Shadows like, uh, sort of like me, but it's only an idea. It's not the fullness. John chapter 1 verse 18 says this. Have we got this? 
No one has ever seen God. Well, what about Moses and Abraham? It says they met with God. Well, they saw him, but only in not the fullness of. No one has ever seen God, the unique one. Uh, sorry, no one has ever seen God, but the unique one, talking about Jesus, who is God himself. He is near to the Father, and he has revealed God to us. The most perfect picture of the Father is Jesus. And on the cross, Jesus is still revealing God. God hasn't left the building when the cross happened. And when Jesus says something like, he prays, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Is that that the Father says, okay, you know, I've always been disgusted with these people, but for your sake, Jesus, I'll forgive them. It's not that. Jesus said over and over and over, I only do what the Father is doing. I came to reveal the Father. If you see me, you've seen the Father. Me and the Father are one. You get the idea? So when Jesus says, Father, forgive them, it's, it's because it's always the will of the Father to forgive. Jesus is expressing what's in the Father's heart. You know, through Jesus, we understand what God is like. Jesus is God. And God is Christ-like. Whatever your image of God is, make sure it's Christ-like. Otherwise, it's flawed. It was like that even back in the old times. We read the Old Testament and think God was different. Ten Commandments. Let's read a couple of the Ten Commandments. Uh, Deuteronomy 5 verse 9. You must not bow down and worship them, talking about idols, for I, the Lord, am a jealous God who will not tele, uh, toler, tolerate your affection to other gods. We read this verse. I lay the sins of the parents on the children, even to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. In other words, when you sin, it affects your whole family. That's what I'm saying. But I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. Sometimes we read that wrong. Hey, when you live in sin, it's going to affect your kids and sometimes your grandkids. That's what it's saying. But my forgiveness is much more powerful. You might, your sin might forget three generations, but my love affects a thousand generations. It's lining up the power of sin compared to the power of God's forgiveness. Now, I reckon that's 300 times more powerful and lasts 300 times longer as well. That's what God is like. My forgiveness is much more powerful than any sin. There's no comparison. The power of forgiveness simply overwhelms any other power. His mercy and forgiveness is, is 300 times more powerful. Now, when Jesus is on the cross, where is God? Where is God? Different theories trying to explain different things. or you know, There's all sorts of theories out there and none are perfect. You know what I've found about theories? When you've got a theory, you can find scriptures to find back up your theory. And um, you know, it's, they're helpful. Any theologians here, they call them atonement theories. Some of you would have heard that. There's lots of them. In some people's analysis, they somehow they see Jesus as saving us from an angry God. I'm not sure that's the right way to present it. In fact, I don't 
believe that at all. I think a better way of looking at it is, on the cross, Jesus was revealing God as saviour. Around Christmas time, we talk about Emmanuel, which means, who remembers that? God with us. Why do we leave that at Christmas? When Jesus was on the cross, guess what? God with us. He came in the form of Jesus with us. And on the cross, God is still with us. And when I look at the cross, if I somehow separate God and Jesus, looking away because... I used to think this, and some of you might think this, so I'll get you to consider it. And you can make your own assumption. I used to have the concept that God can't look on sin or sinners. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We got the picture that God sort of looked away, turning his face, and I preached that. It's one of the theories. But then I started to look at it. Jesus was quite comfortable going into mess of people's sinful life. On the first sin, Adam and Eve sinned. Where was God? Was he hiding away? He was actually looking for Adam. Where are you, Adam? It didn't scare God away. What it did, sin did separate man from God, but it was Adam who was hiding from God. It wasn't God hiding from Adam. And that's what happens when we have sin in our life. We sort of hide away from God. But I'll tell you what, God is there. You'll see that all the way through the Bible. All the way through the Bible, people messed up. God came, God came, God came, God came. And Jesus is the most example, the greatest example from us. God's love and forgiveness is much more powerful than sin. Didn't Paul say that Nothing on earth, under the earth, no powers will be able to separate us from the love of God. You know, when you read the full psalm, Jesus quoted psalms when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22 verse 1, if you want to look it up. Why have you... Have we got that? Why have you... My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far when I groan for help? You know, that, that's the cry of man. You've got to read the rest of the psalm. When you go down to verse 24 of the psalm, you read this. For he, talking about God, has not ignored or belittled the suffering the needed. He, he has not turned his back. The state of man has that concept that God is not there. You read on. Jesus also quotes Psalm 31 in the Bible. Into your hands I commit my spirit. That's Psalm 31, verse 5. In verse 22 it says this, Psalm 31. In my alarm I said, I am cut off from your sight. Yet you heard my cry for mercy when I called for your help. Even when we read Isaiah 53, that's such a famous passage about the cross. It says... Uh, this verse 3. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest of grief. We turn our backs on him He looked and, um, and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. It was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And then this line. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God. That's what we thought. A punishment for his own sins. 
But we were wrong. He was crushed for our rebellion and our sins. And um, where is God at Easter? Oh, I believe he's right there. The cross is not what God inflicts on Christ in order to forgive. The cross is, the, the cross is what God endures through Christ as he forgives. If you're looking for God on the cross, he's right there. He's not in heaven judging. He's, not, he's on the cross suffering. Paul, Paul unpacks this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19. This is a really important verse. For God was where? In Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Where was God? Right there. No longer counting people's sins against them. Right there. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. God was not apart, hiding his face. You know, the cross is sort of awful and beautiful at the same time. It's when the sin of the world collided with the love of God. And guess what? Which one won? The love of God. You know, Hebrews unpacks it a little bit more. And it says this strange thing. It says, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. What? <laughs> um, what does that mean? Who's heard of Cain and Abel? Remember Cain killed Abel? And it said the blood of Abel cried out for justice. And so what happened to Cain, the murderer? He was put into exile. He got a mark on him so no one would hurt him, but he was shut out. The blood of, um, the blood of Abel cried out for that sort of justice. Condemned to wander as an exile. But the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. And his blood speaks the word of forgiveness, come home. Not the sort of justice that exiles. Not a punishment. It calls for people to come home because you've been forgiven. What does it mean for us today? Well, first you need to know you've got a God who loves you, not a God who's angry with you. And sin doesn't keep you away from God because you're being forgiven. You can come home. In the story of the prodigal son, the father in the story represents God, doesn't he? And what does it reveal about God? He's waiting for his son to come home, uh, running, putting his arms around him. It's like the, the divine posture is like this. Some people think that the, the divine posture is a bit like Zeus with his thunderbolt. Or the accuser. If you feel accused, that's not God. You're getting God mixed up with the devil. He's the accuser. If you feel accused, that's not God. If you feel like God's out to throw a thunderbolt at you, that's not God. That's, that's the old picture of uh, the Greek god Zeus. We find in the open arms of embrace. And let me tell you that God is unchangeable and he's always been like that. We just were revealed uh, that part about God, that nature about God, especially when Jesus came. When did the father forgive the son in the prodigal son story? I think, I don't know, I think it was at the cross. <laughs> it echoed through history. Come home. Don't I have to do some sort of penance, you know, grovel a bit? 
Doesn't that seem too easy? Isn't that cheap grace? Well, have a look at the cross and see if you think that was cheap. No, it's not cheap. It cost a lot. See, we have an invitation now, and it's to experience the forgiveness of the cross. Uh, the eternal moment of forgiveness. How do we experience that? I think we've got to be honest with ourselves, not apathetic. We can look at the cross and just, oh yeah, that's, that's Easter. We don't experience the power of forgiveness through apathy, but through honesty, where we confess or we face up to our lives, where we, we repent, which means turn away from whatever's uh, offending God and turn to him. That's what repentance means. And come home to his open arms. And we should be honest with our lives about our sin, our selfishness. Bring it to God and receive this forgiveness that's been waiting for us. We were forgiven at the cross and we can experience that forgiveness. It's life-changing. It's living free. And I think the cross today is an invitation. An invitation for us to come home to God. The blood of Jesus Christ is a better word than the blood of Abel's. The prodigal son was welcome home, forgiven. You know, I think he was forgiven all the time, but he had to turn around and come home. And when he came home, God gave him a new jacket and, you know, a ring and sandals. You know, talking about restoring his... And a barbecue. You know, I believe the Father is always waiting for us to come home. And he's waiting for us. Let's, let's, I wonder if you could bow our heads, we're going to pray. Can I have some? Yeah. I reckon at Easter, there's all, probably parts of all of our life that are sort of been living with the swine, so to speak, if we take the prodigal son story. And today, I want to give you an invitation to come home and embrace the forgiveness which God has for you. And for some people, the word is this. You don't have to stay in some sort of exile. You're welcome home. What do I have to do first? You come home. What do I have to change? Well, you come home. That's what you change. And God embraces us and, you know, helps us with stuff we need to deal with. But the first response is always to respond to forgiveness. It's respond to the heart of God. And if you've got a picture of God, which is sort of the angry God judging you, I want you to just get rid of that. Because that's not the God revealed in Jesus. What is God looking for us right now? I think, I'll give you just two things. An acknowledgement that he is our saviour and two, a responding heart to come to him. An acknowledgement that he is our saviour and a responding heart to come to him. Come home. Lord, I thank you, Lord God. 
for the eternal moment of forgiveness which happened on the cross. Ripples back into history. Ripples into the eternity, the Lamb of God on the throne. We thank you for the power of the cross. We probably can't understand or comprehend everything it means. But it's the love of God poured out for us. And we thank you for that. And we acknowledge you as our our saviour, Lord. As the one who has forgiven us. And with our hearts, we respond to you. We come home. Have we seen the goodness of God?